0: You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your
1: journey. Your Your journey. journey. Your journey
2: starts here.
0: Here. Okay, welcome everyone. Um, My name is Hannah and I'm one of the managers at the Ivy Bookshop in Baltimore. Um, and it's my absolute honor to welcome you to um, this edition of the Pratt's Writer's Cribs series, which has been such a wonderful and vibrant thing to follow um, as they've been doing virtual events during the pandemic. Um, I just can never say enough good things about the Pratt. <laughs> um, I'm really impressed. And I think I speak for all this, the Ivy when I say we're really impressed with how they've um, Continue to make the Pratt such a warm and welcoming and engaging space, even virtually, whether you're attending one of these events or ordering books to pick up um, or using one of the libraries that's um, open in limited capacities. Um, So I just feel so grateful and we feel so grateful with the Ivy to be able to partner with them um, to help get books into Baltimore and get conversations about books into Baltimore. Um, And tonight we have two of the coolest Baltimore writers with us, Kate Reed Petty and Kate Wire. Um, and I, if this were happening in person, I would be at a little table in the corner of the room, like waving their books at you. Um, but instead, I'm going to put, yeah, <laughs> Tracy can do that. Um, and and I'm going to put links in the chat. Um, if you're interested in purchasing those books from the Ivy, um, we keep, them in stock and would be happy to help you get one. Um, And yeah, really looking forward to hearing what they have to discuss this evening and I hope you enjoy the event. Thank you so much. And I will pass it off to Tracy to introduce them. Yeah, thank you so
3: much, Hannah. We love working with the Ivy and with all all you guys have done to pivot, to take on online ordering, open a new store in a pandemic, it's really exciting to see everything you've done. So it's, you. you're just incredible as well. Um, so, hi everyone. Um, as we've said, I'm Tracy Diamond, the adult services coordinator at the Enoch Pratt Free Library. And so before we officially start, um, I have a couple of things to tell you about happening at the Pratt. Um, like Hannah said, we have sidewalk service at 14 of our libraries. So even though our doors aren't completely open, you can still access physical materials as well as mobile printing at these libraries. And I know a lot of people um, in the event that I see as participants, hello, we're all cre- a creative bunch. Um, so we have take and make kits for adults at our libraries. So these are kits that you just call up your branch who has them available, um, you set up a pickup and then you can take it and make whatever's in the kit. So we have things like string art and bullet journals. Um, so it's a fun way to um, just be creative and do some crafts during the pandemic. Um, and including tonight, we have um, an excellent slate of conversations over the next couple weeks. We have Ron Cassie, Fraser Smith, Stephen Leva, Evie Shockley, Danielle Evans, and Laura Vandenberg all coming in the next couple of weeks. So we've got fiction, journalists, poets, um, whatever you'd like to hear, we have it. Um, so details about everything I've mentioned can be found on prattlibrary.org. Tonight, we're thrilled to have Kate Wire and Kate Reed Petty in conversation and giving us um, an MTV Cribs style tour. So when the pandemic started, um, Emma and I talked and we said, how can we do something fun with our author events? And so we've been periodically putting on these Writers' Cribs events where they're like Writers' Live that we all know, um, but then also including um, a little bit of a tour like the 90s and 2000s MTV Cribs show where you saw like gold toilets, giant fish tanks, um, just kind of showing... Um, And taking advantage of being able to see into writers' lives a little more. Um, So some logistics, if you're watching in Zoom, um, please click in the chat bubble on your screen to post questions for Kate and Kate. Um, If you're watching on Facebook, please post in the comments. We'll be watching that as well. Um, And I'll also post a survey near the end of the program. Your feedback helps us serve you. So Kate Reed Petty's debut novel, True Story, was a New York Times editor's choice. Her short fiction and essays have been published online by Electric Literature, American Short Fiction, Blackbird, the Los Angeles Review of Books blog, and Ambit. And her short films have appeared on Narrative Magazine and at the 2019 Maryland Film Festival. Kate Wire is the author of the novels Black Crim and Land Beast. Her work has appeared in West Branch, The Rupture, Necessary Fiction, Hobart, Unsaid, and other journals. She works in public mental in the public mental health system of Maryland. Um, and what I love both about what I love about both of their styles is how they take genre and just crack it open from Kate Wire's poetic interior fiction to Kate Reed Petty's use of um, editing papers like to move the narrative in true story. That was one of my favorite parts and like reading those line edits and comments to get that conversation. Um, So as Hannah said, don't forget to visit the Ivy Bookshop to order your copies of True Story and Girl Cow Monk. So please give a warm welcome to Kate Wire and Kate Reed Petty.
2: Thank you so much, Tracy. Yeah, Thank you.
1: thanks so much. All right, so Kate, if you would take us on a tour of your writing room.
2: Yeah, we we um, I am excited to do this. First, we thought that we were going to talk about space so much that it made sense to just dive right into the the tour part. And as I'm like getting ready, I just want to say too that I like admire this so much that um, that Tracy and Emma at the Ivy that Pratt and the Ivy were willing to do this kind of event because they were really, I think, the first big literary organizations that I knew about that were doing this kind of like out of the box thing. So, um, I feel a little nervous, but I'm going to show you my writing studio. Um, So this is a a little room on the top of my house um, and it was a storage room for a long time before I finally like was like I need like a dedicated writing space and kind of renovated or not renovated but just cleaned all the storage out um, and it still does sometimes get furniture that just gets kind of like pushed into here when we don't have somewhere else to put it. So the first thing you're gonna see when you walk in the door are these chairs that I'm gonna probably sell pretty soon. But anyway, that's that's the first thing. So it is still uh, writing space is still a little bit of like it's a struggle to to prioritize it, but I am grateful to have this space. Um, So that's the first thing you see when you walk in the room. It's a small room, so it's going to be a short tour. Um, And then you see my writing desk is here, which you can see my book and Kate's book right there. Um, That's actually just like a case that I'm using to lift my computer for this event. Normally I don't write on there. And then... um, That light's a little bit in the way, but I have my bookshelf. I'm going to do this. This is crazy. (laughs) My bookshelf. (laughs) Um, And this is just like filled with notebooks, basically. I have sort of my book collection on another floor, but all of the notebooks that I always think I'm going to go through sometime and still haven't yet, but I believe that I will someday. I'm keeping them here. Um, And it's really nice to have a dedicated space and feel like they're actually like valued instead of just like shoved in the closet. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about my writing space that I feel like is, um, important. So I, this fall, partly inspired by quarantine and spending so much time at home, I really wanted to make this space feel comfortable and also kind of fun and free. And so I have a dartboard hung on the wall and then I hung, uh, this is my grandparents porch swing that I, that I inherited. My uncle gave me, um, and having it like hung inside makes it feel like this is a really uh, completely free, free and playful space, which is something I try to cultivate in my writing space to, I don't know, just not just to not feel like hemmed in by having to worry about what other people think is, is the really the really big piece of it. Um, so yeah, this is like a little, this is my little like writing garret.
1: <laughs> That's So cool. Tell me about that typewriter, this, do you ever
2: I do I do it's a um, that was my grandmother's typewriter oh wow so it was another one that I have lugged around for a long time and inherited Um, and it does still work uh, and I use it I'm trying to think of how often I use it I I use it like once every six months and it's always really helpful when I do um, because it's such a I, I remember there's a there's a writer called Julia Cameron who talks about like a typewriter kind of clacks along like along like a pony as you're typing on it, um, and I really appreciate that kind of like speed and pace. And so every once in a while, if I'm stuck, it's again something kind of liberated and free free to do with that. So, okay, cool. yeah.
1: So, thinking about your writing space, are there rituals that you have
2: that are you know part of the space? Yeah, that's such such a good question. I um I change my rituals frequently I feel like I have to even every sometimes they only last like a week or two um and I don't know if that's for better or for worse I I'm I'm excited to hear your answer to this question too Kate like I feel like I always feel like I should be more disciplined and consistent but um yeah I, I do sort of establish little rituals that last as long as they do Uh, right now, for example, I'm doing, um, I write morning pages. So I write three pages Mm -hmm. on hand first thing in the morning. Um, And I do come up to this writing space to do that, which is a, I've been doing for a couple of months now in this room. Um, And that feels good. It's, you know, a way to like cultivate the sacredness of the space and the creativity. So
1: are you, are you new to morning pages or is that something that you've done for a long
2: time? Um, I start. I did them first, like uh i think four or five years ago was the first time i read the artist's way Mm -hmm. and and picked it up um and i've done them like i'll I'll do them for a while again not very disciplined or consistent but i'll do them for a while (laughs) (laughs) how long have you been doing them
1: oh i um i've just recently started to try to do it again on on a consistent basis but i think it's been a couple years um since I was was trying to do it again I don't think I ever reach that like every day
2: um but um you know I enjoy it so
1: yeah yeah every
2: time I do it it feels so valuable and then it's so easy to say like oh I don't need it today (laughs) it's just the nature of the beast Yeah.
1: so I see that your desk is faced away from the window is that um is that on purpose or like do
2: you want to limit this the
1: the like
2: the view or oh, about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, um, I think I do it mostly because I think I feel, I think it's a little bit of um, uh, paranoia that I want to be facing the door. And I think it's mm-hmm. some of that like sense of safety in the writing space too. Like I don't want anybody looking over my shoulder even though the door is closed. I, I like set my back to the wall so that I could mm-hmm. watch the room. Um, mm-hmm. But I do really like, I do like having my desk by the window and the, it's nice to, you know, I frequently throughout the day sort of turn and like look out the window and sit for a minute and take a little break, um, which is better than looking on Twitter if I can yeah. sort of <laughs> train myself to do that instead. Um, that's really useful. So yeah. So I would love to. Oh, actually, real quick, um, we had a question in the chat about morning pages that I feel like we should explain since we're yeah, great. we're on mm-hmm. it. Um, do you want to take a stab
1: at again? There, yeah. Basically, you just um, set about 15 uh, minutes for yourself. Um, and you write longhand. It's important that it's um, pen to page and not typing. And you basically are doing it first thing in the morning. And it's just clearing out all the junk. It, that's how she talks about it. It's like making space for the creative stuff to come in. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything.
2: No, that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so the only thing I would add is that the, the book is The Artist's Way. It's by mm-hmm. Julia Cameron. And that is an excellent gift to purchase at the Ivy Bookshop for any artist or creative person in your life. Um, it's, a really, it's a really wonderful book that um, I highly recommend. So it's our, our, our gift guide for, for this event. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So does the outside world, like your street... Um, does it ever make its way into, you know, what you're working on at the moment, um,
2: or? I think it, yeah, yeah, I think it, um, I would actually be really curious to, like, look back at something and see if that is true, like, I can imagine there would be little images, and I, I'm curious if you get this, too, that people who you know and love read your work and say, oh, I recognize that, plastic bag or that desk or some some piece. Yeah, of <laughs> um, I feel like I can never see it or never like spot it as it's going in. Sure. Um, but uh, I don't think so, but I think that's a hub- hubristic answer. I think I probably <laughs> am <laughs> soaking up more than I expect. Um, yeah, but really good question. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: could we, Kate, could, would you give us a tour of your just- more Yeah,
1: travel, sure.
2: that space behind you?
1: So I'll just, I'll get out of the way. Um, This, it's a very narrow room. I mean, it's like, um, it's just beyond my hands and it is just entirely full of plants. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So um, there are, you know, some of them like the one in the corner that is now running all the way across and then over to the window. That was actually, um, my aunt gave that to me when I moved into my very first apartment on Calvert street, uh, you know, some 20 years ago or something. Um, and it's doing really well. Um, a lot of them, my husband, um, he's studying sustainable horticulture. And so there are different, um, like graphs of plants that he's grown, um, in that program. And then I do have some of my office plants. Um, I have a question. That, um, you know would not be surviving um, in the dry hot office you know without me going in to see them so um, yeah this is it's definitely um, a sanctuary space for me I do more reading here um, than I do writing but I do if I'm doing morning pages this is actually where I'm doing them <laughs> so oh, really <laughs> that's pretty cool that that came up um, today and um, yeah, I have just a little, I have a little banner um, that I got in Colorado that has um, like lino cut stamps of wildflowers um, and that's pretty much it. It's just a, it's a very tiny room. I'm not sure exactly, um, you know, what it was when um, the previous owners, you know, were, were here. They had painted it a very dark, dark, dark orange and had like maroon drapes um So, entire yeah. My husband and I did a lot of work on this. It's it must have taken along a like lot a- of coats of paint. Coats yeah. Of- <laughs> <Just thinking. laughs> um, but it smells like oh. So, <laughs> hi Laura. Um, you know it is. It's pretty. Um, it's pretty earthy. Um, you know, especially when I water everything in the morning. Um, so you know, it does get that that peaty uh, smell in here. Otherwise, I don't really notice too much um, of a scent. The only thing that's flowering, um, we have an African violet, and then my friend Katie um, got me a Christmas cactus like so many years ago, and it's blooming right now, but um, not too many things that have highly scented uh, leaves. Other, I have a Tulsi plant that I, I'm trying to keep alive. They're not usually supposed to overwinter, but um, I brought it in from, from
2: my garden, so. That's cool. Is that Tulsi that you can make tea out of? Is that yeah. the one I'm thinking of?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I'm an herbalist, um, amateur herbalist um, and I, I have a Tulsi lemon balm and chamomile tea every day that I've, um, all of those I've grown,
2: so. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. That's cool lucky to do that.
2: Yeah I wanted to ask too about the um, I want to I want to hear more about your herbalist uh, interests but I wanted to ask about the the vine trailing plant that you introduced first from your mm-hmm. first apartment. Have you ever had to cut it or trim it or is it how did you get it the shape that it's in right now?
1: Yeah it's very healthy now it's um, it's definitely gone through some stages where um, it's pretty needy. it needs a lot of water and if I'm not mindful, um, it will definitely start to turn yellow, and I've had to cut um, long arms of it off. There's actually another arm of it that's coming over this way too now. Um, but it, yeah, it's very healthy now. I've actually never repotted it,
2: which <laughs> is very kind of
1: strange, but I feed it. Um, I have some plant food,
2: so. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, well, I wanted to ask you the same question that you asked me about um, sort of outside influences showing up in your writing. Um, and especially, I know that you, you sometimes write in that room and sometimes have the plants that are in your writing room. Mm-hmm. Um, does, the, does the interior space as well as the sort of outside world come into your writing or are you choosing decorations specifically to kind of inspire you?
1: Mm. Yeah, my writing desk is actually facing the window Um, upstairs and that is, um, you know, I'm overlooking, um, my yard and my neighbors, you know, we have a little alley street behind us, um, but we do have some, you know, urban woods, um, as well. And, uh, so I really enjoy looking out at that. It really, it does help me in that, get into that sort of active daydreamy, um, uh, low I guess you know like if I'm if I'm thinking then it's helpful for me to move my eyes from the page out and look out um you know across a landscape and then I think like ideas start to to come if I'm
2: stuck yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense too because you're writing or this book especially is so um so like deep it feels very infused with nature and and so kind of filled with sensory details and and um i can really see that coming through did you how do you choose the plants that are in your writing office
1: um they a lot of them were gifts um which is really sweet so yeah i don't um i can't think of any anyone that wasn't actually So, um, people know that I love plants and, (laughs) and, and they make great gifts too. And they, I love, I, you know, like I, I cherish, you know, I was quite able to point out like Katie gave me that and gave me that, you know, so, um, there's a a real connection to nurturing, you know, that living thing and then nurturing that memory too. So, yeah.
2: And then, and then nurturing your writing practice as well. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Um. One more, one more space-based question, and we can talk about books a little bit. But I, I also wanted to ask you the same um, about your rituals. I know you mentioned the tea that you drink every day that you grow. Mm-hmm. Are there other rituals that you use in your writing practice? Um, I,
1: I guess I'm, not, I'm, I'm not very. Ritualistic, right now in the past I would be. It would be almost like a conjuring, almost like I would light a candle, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but I don't, I don't really. Other than just having like a clean space, you know, I don't want any clutter. I don't want to be able to feel like anything is piled up. Um, and especially now, it's it's kind of more complicated because I'm working from home in the space that I would be creating. Um, so, uh, you know, that uh, that's especially, you know, I clear away my work computer. I just put it entirely away. Um, all of my, all of my work stuff, you know, goes in the closet and then I bring out my other computer and.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Does that, that almost seems like a ritual.
1: I guess it's, it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a conjuring, but it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I often um what you said about like having a clear space I'm like oh right I need a clear space because I you know I cleared my desk off for this event for example to to show to give a tour but I do catch myself letting things kind of pile up and you know I'll print out a draft and then kind of let it sit there um after I've you know moved two drafts down the line and um it's just like with morning pages and every time you get a clear space or every time I take the time to clear space it's so valuable and I always forget that I need that yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Um, this is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> really, I really yeah.
2: love the, the door aspect of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I also like. I, I think I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna have a new writing routine starting tomorrow. Like I'm. I'm like. Oh, I gotta get a candle and <laughs> draw like a chalk circle or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, okay. Well, I, maybe we should do like. I feel like we should talk about your book and my book and. I wondered if you would, would this be a good time, would you give a little reading to kind of show some of the, I feel like we've been talking about the, just like the lushness of your writing. And I, I think people would like to hear it.
1: Thank you. I think I'd like to start with um, just one of the strangest parts of um, of Brokaw. And um, I guess this section doesn't need any set up because it's, it's a little standalone, um, but this is sort of um, an, an element of the magical realism that's present. So I'll just read a, a, a little passage and then I'll move on to Monk, just a little passage too. So uh, the patterns of scales identify what they are made of, bone, teeth, skin, cartilage, all of it living and growing. Scales are like teeth in the water. They cut the body from the water, ramp it into the bloods, the body's bloodstream and skin structure. Imagine being scaled. The light does not reach your skin. It must fight through the bone fiber, nose cartilage fiber, down into the blood. The scale do not need the same vitamins. All that salt water enamel shines under the surface. The quiet compactness of growing plates of teeth with muscle attached. The bone-scaled fish are louder under the water. The bones shift and creak as the fish move their fins and tails. I put my ear under the water and can tell which fish are near." And so that's Girl speaking.
2: Beautiful.
1: Thank you. And then um, my favorite passage from Monk is when he's talking about this really noisy silence. (laughs) um, I guess he's in a silent monastery. Silence means the click of thumbnail against wooden rosary, the turning of thin pages, the crack of old knees genuflecting, the scrape of metal spoon against ceramic bowl, the shuffle, the limp, the hustle of ambulation, cough, sneezes, sniffles, Silence means the wet hesitation of resistance a potato makes with each pass of the knife, the dry rip of collard greens removed from their stalk. It is hearing a throat swallowing milk, a throat swallowing tea, the dry sockets of teeth chewing bread. It is hearing the air move around hands as they perform ritual, as all men move in the same pattern, a touch to the forehead, to the heart, to the shoulders, as hands come together to touch palms. Silence means hearing the fabric around the bodies, the swish of robes. It is the strike of a match and the fizz of flame catching, of breath ending flame before it reaches fingers. The moon fed movements of the ocean and its response through the cedars, the falling of those cedars needles or the thump of the cones. And always the of straw brooms cleaning some corner, some hallway. Silence means hearing bodies turning in narrow beds, the scrabble of mice feet, and the mooted whoosh of a raptor. This silence meant I was not alone.
2: Such an excellent, um, that is like a really memorable passage in Monk. I love it. I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm so, every time and hearing you read too, it's, it's even more powerful. Your writing is so precise and so like almost like crystalline. And I wonder if you, since we've been talking about process, do you, I can see you sort of like carefully putting each word in its place and, and writing slowly. And I can also see you writing quickly and a lot and kind of sculpting down to just the perfect minimal words. Um, and maybe you do both, but but tell, tell me a little bit about your process.
1: Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the compliments, everybody. I love I love that. Thanks. Um, so it is mostly um, that I have to write a whole lot. <laughs> I write a whole lot. Like um, this book was actually um, somewhere around two hundred and fifty pages. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, I just was cutting and cutting and cutting um, until you know I I just I was just condensing it down um, into experience after experience, um, um, sort of image or sensation, um, you know, based monk. Um, I did revising on monk, like that silence passage that, that one did come through more like a poem, like it is on the, um, on the page, the way that it came through, um, because I had, you had know, gotten good feedback from another editor. Um, this book was with another small press, um, but that the press ended up not being able to, you know, um, go through with publishing it. But, um, but they did give me this feedback where they said, you know, Girl Cow has these, this magic in it. And Monk, while, you know, um, we can tell that it's the same like ecosystem, there's no magical realism in it. And like, can you tie, those two works together a little more, and so that's where, like the images of the halos start coming in. Um, you know, and I have this idea of like skipping the halo, you know, <laughs> across the water. Um, and so it it freed me up in a way to think about, well, how can I bring, how can I make this its own world, um, and uh, and and so that the silence passage, you know, was a late addition. Um, to it, but primarily I write a whole lot and then I'm just really getting rid of just yeah. everything
2: that's not essential. That's amazing. I mean, it, you can really tell that like, I, I wanna make an herbalism metaphor, but like that distillation <laughs> of like the true essence is like really shines through. Um, I, wanna, I wanna jump in with one more question because you sort of alluded to the two, the sort of double structure of this book. It's sort of two novellas that, that are intertwined and, and that speak to each other. Um, and I love books that have two halves. I think it's a really interesting and, and very new and fresh kind of structure. Um, and I was wondering, did you write these together in those two hundred and fifty pages? Were they both or did did you write them sequentially sequentially? Yeah, that's a
1: great yeah. question. So the, it was one it was one book. Um, so they were not you know um, you know, not to spoil any plot spoilers, but um, in in the first version of it, monk and girl had more interaction um, than they do in this final piece and I was just trying to get it you know I was thinking about alternating um, you know I did that in my first novel and I didn't want to I didn't want to replicate that you know where um, and so I was just thinking about you know how can I how can I work these stories in a way that's going to you know it there, you know, that, that page about the, the scaling, you know, the, the fish and all of that, um, that's probably less than a hundred words, you know, so I had these like little fragments and so how can I make, how can I build these fragments without jumping around and that's how I ended up pulling out all of the stories pieces and then seeing what I had and then doing a lot of revising and editing, uh, to build the story and then my editor, um, Anne was great at also seeing like, okay, this little chunk would work better like over here um, with Meekling and, uh, you know, saw am in uh, a debt of gratitude to her. So. That's great.
2: Yeah, yeah. And a, a great editor is, is so valuable. But um, yeah, no, the, and I think the, the work you put into this book is just phenomenal. And the, the structure that you arrived at is so like, there's something really bold about having two halves of a book and it feels so, um, there's something really buoyant and exciting and refreshing about this book when, when it does switch to Monk and when the two do tie together, it's a really, um, I think it's a really like hopeful ending to the book and, and kind of lifts off in such a beautiful way. So I think it's fantastic. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a really nice segue um, to start talking about your work. Um, so in in your book, I was really drawn to the tension that's built between, you know, women um, pushing other women to tell their story, and then women pushing women to keep quiet. You know, don't don't say it now. Don't tell. Don't you know? Don't talk about it. Um, and you know, you arrive at this brilliant way of, um, I guess, like finding agency in storytelling. Um, And so I just, I wanted you to sort of talk about that tension that you work with in your book.
2: Yeah, Yeah. thank you. It's a, that's a, I love, a excellent description. And um, yeah, I, you know, that I do, I did sort of set out to write a book about storytelling and thinking about how we all tell the stories of our own lives and also how other people, you know, how, how we tell stories about each other and how other people's stories kind of shape what we, the way that we constrain ourselves and what we think is possible. And so, you know, the, the main, one of the main characters of true story, Alice has this traumatic event happen in high school that she feels um, she's, she's basically sexually assaulted when she's unconscious. And so she doesn't have full access to that event. And as you say, there's, there's a lot of influences in her life that are pushing her to tell that story or, tell it, but only in a certain way, or, you know, don't, don't say it now or, or, um, and I, I'm, I'm really interested in, in the, in those kinds of pressures that I think we all have. Um, I think, you know, to, to different degrees, but in every aspect of our lives, we are figuring out how to present ourselves and, and present our lives and histories to other people. and, and, Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm interested in that tension and I wanted to show, I mean, I'm happy to, that you, that you highlight kind of the gender aspect of it, because I think, you know, stories about sexual assault can, um, and often rightly focus on gender, you know, the gender dynamics and, and the, um, you know, the, the crimes that men commit. Um, but I wanted to also look at how women, how all of us in society are part of this culture and how we all play roles in different ways and in people's fates, um, so yeah, and 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 like you say, the structure is is was important to making that happen. Yeah.
1: Did you want to read a little bit?
2: Oh, um, yeah, sure. I will. I'll do a little bit. Um, it's so it's so funny because I the part that I like to read and that I feel like works best as a short piece is from the beginning, um, and it's so. You know, actually, I'm gonna write. I'm gonna read from the prologue, which I have never done before, um, because. Normally I I read a section that is in the voice of a high school boy and it's purposefully kind of over the top um, and it doesn't feel the right tone for this like beautiful space that we've created. So I'm going to read the very beginning prologue, which is fairly short. When you last came to ask for this story, I'd already been hiding out in Barcelona for years. I live in an airy studio on the top floor of a five story building with tile floors and a big sliding glass door that opens onto a patio. The patio is lined with terracotta pots too heavy to move, left by the previous tenants and overflowing with succulents. The apartment is inexpensive and private, the neighbors keep to themselves and the landlord likes her checks in the mail. It took a little while, but now I feel safe enough here that on hot nights I don't close the patio door, leaving my bedroom open to the breeze whispering up from the city streets and to the phantom intruders that used to haunt my dreams. I love this apartment the way astronauts love their ships. My only complaint is the the display in the window of the pharmacy downstairs, which I pass every day on my morning run. It features three female mannequins with rounded onyx surfaces where their faces should be, their arms and legs cut off at the biceps and thighs. They've been arranged in come hither poses, hips torqued out as though they were modeling bikinis, but instead they model first aid equipment. The one closest to my apartment door has a black lumbar support belt wrapped around her waist like a corset and a blue sling for a broken arm draped around her neck perched in a wheelchair to her left, another has a knee brace attached at the thigh. The third leans stiffly against the far wall, a sleep mask covering the place where her eyes should be. For months and months now, this display hasn't changed. Try as I might to look away, I can't help glancing at it as I pass, the way a woman in a horror movie can't resist going upstairs. Don't take this the wrong way, but whenever I look at the mannequins, I think of you. My oldest friend, you have always stood by me in the face of casual misogyny and bad taste. I'll stop there.
1: Awesome. (laughs) One of the things that I've admired about your work, um, you know, since, um, since you reached out those years ago and, you know, and we formed a friendship is your ability to process of the moment things and then be able to create art around them, where I feel like I'm, I'm just in a state of overwhelm. Like, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know how to deal with this. I don't, you know, I'm not going to think about it, but you're able to really, um, just create these beautiful pieces of art that are, you know, really of the moment. Um, And I've really admired that about you. So I was just wondering, like, how does inspiration work
2: for you? Yeah, I, I I definitely often get like angry or interested or kind of sparked by news stories, or, you know, a longer form journalism in the New Yorker, a a magazine article or something, and I'll be sort of compelled by, by those events. Um, And I'm also sort of always on the lookout for those stories about when somebody is consciously editing their story for the public consumption. So there's times when we get kind of a glimpse of somebody behind the scene, like a hot mic, or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see like a a redacted memo, or we see what, what was changed in a speech or something, Um, and so those always kind of inspire me and, and, and kind of bring some, um, definitely bring some current events or current issues into my work. Um, I will say, I, I I'm curious how it's, it's been really hard during the pandemic to feel like I can write anything relevant or kind of, of the moment, um, that, that word overwhelm that you used feels really true right now. And I'm. Yeah, I'm sort of just being patient and waiting for a time in the future when I'll look back on this and maybe write about it. Um, are, are you are you do you find yourself thinking or writing about pandemic and quarantine right now?
1: No, the, the closest that I've come to it is that I, I just um, one of one of the spring days, you know, we had such a cold spring, um, but we I was able to be outside and I overheard neighbors um, who had decided to you know, he owned a bar. And so of course this was, you know, the bar was shut down. Um, He didn't have work. And so he decided that he would conquer his backyard. Um, So you know, there's all these overgrowing things, these vines that, you know, they're like the, my, my arm, you know, going everywhere. And um, so he's hacking away at it and, very enthusiastic neighbor comes over and you know wants to talk about how to chop things down the best way and and then um, the the original neighbor the bar owner his um, his little grandson was over and the other neighbor calls this grandson werewolf
2: <laughs> oh. and so it was just this
1: like it's like hey werewolf um, how are you doing and so there's it was just this completely like surreal little. Yeah. vignette you know um and so I wrote just a tiny poem basically just observing that um and um and that's really the most that I've been able to touch it <laughs>
2: so. yeah that feels really um that feels like a a, a true like Kate Weyer poem. <laughs> <laughs> like topic um
1: yeah.
2: it, it is interesting though I mean I did I, I don't that, like speaking of kind of like urgent issues you know Girl, Cow, and Monk Um, as I was reading it, I was really compelled by how strong of a metaphor for climate change it felt to me personally as a reader. And um, there's a a lot of meanings and and layers in the book, but just this, the story of a, you know, a girl and a cow kind of venturing into this saltwater environment, like kind of a, it's like, it's, it's the earth, but it's like a little bit unhospitable and it's a little bit foreign and they're not really adapted to it. And also the way that the girl is is relying on the cow and sees herself as connected to the cow and 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 it's not under her control necessarily. She's trying, but it's not there. Um, I, I was just I was so struck so many times by how much that feels like what humans are starting to understand about or relearn about our relationship to nature and and how we're thinking about this kind of changed earth that we've that we've created. Um, yeah. I wonder if you do you think sort of consciously about themes that come through your work or, or do they come up more organically yeah, for you? Yeah, that,
1: that's all deep unconscious stuff right there. I mean, that is definitely one of the, my, you know, existential dread, like, you know, um, um, but, and so it's it's there, um, but it was not a conscious um it was not a conscious element, but I think you know that it is a definitely a, a true reading of it. Um, you know, when you when you talk about it, um, I can see that that is how I'm. I'm sort of working through things, you know, like with um, with Land Beast, my other book. Like I was just working through like trauma, you know, and like it's, but it's all like at a distance from me. It's all sort of behind. Um, Behind something for me um, as I'm working through it.
2: So. Yeah, and and I've heard you say that. Um, I mean, similar to the the werewolf chopping the vines down, that that an image is often the the kind of key to get into your work for you, and that that sounds like a that sounds like a way to get at sort of buried things is through mm-hmm. through images.
1: Yeah, it is very dreamlike in that way, I, I think, or, you know, the unconscious, the allowing that to to um, whisper through, I guess. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So with your, um, I really wanted to talk about, I know we probably don't have all that much time, but I really wanted to talk about um, you as a filmmaker. Oh. Uh, and so, you know, you've had works that was um, that were featured. yet a short featured um, at the Maryland Film Festival in 2019. Um, and you know, film or movie making um, is really central to the young lives, you know, of Haley and um, and Alice. And I was just, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about the influence of film, I guess, on your life. And then, if you want to talk about the choice to make it horror um, genre. Um,
2: yeah, definitely, definitely. It is. It is interesting to, when we were to come on that just having been thinking and talking about images, mm-hmm. um, because I always feel I feel sort of self conscious about imagery in my work or sort of my my visual facility because I've always been more about um, language and story. Or I've always been sort of a, a book a book person, and so and and filmmaking is such a such a like visual language um, of images. Um. So my, the films that I make are, um, I think 100%, I, I record them on my computer screen and they are um, uh, like following characters who are writing an email, for example, or um, searching online and trying to figure something out that way. And so the drama of the story sort of happens um, and there's, there's something similar that happens in true story on a static page, but where you're seeing a character kind of revise and work through something. Um, and so, so yeah, so the, the filmmaking that I do is definitely not sort of image based. Um, but what I, but I um, l- love movies, is <laughs> the simplest way to say it, I, I've always um, just been like a, a real sort of fan of all kinds of movies, I, you know, trashy action movies, romantic comedies, horror, everything. Um, and so with true Story specifically, the characters, um, you know, as young children, they want to be filmmakers, and then film becomes this kind of way of processing throughout their whole lives. And for Alice, especially, she she kind of turns to screenwriting and, and to filmmaking when she is in an emotional difficult place. It's kind of a it's kind of her like native language is something I say sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, and then for her, she especially loves horror films, um, and I think there were, the, the reason I sort of chose to work with horror, there was both, um, I was interested in the idea of people who process trauma through horror. I've, I've read and, and talked to friends who um, love, find a horror movie like very relaxing because it is sort of a safe way to deal with kind of the worst things imaginable and is mm-hmm. um, still contained in a different way. And so I was really interested in that as a character note. Um, and then also I, you know, kind of was hoping to Trojan horse some feminist themes in this book to um, readers who might not be open to that otherwise. And I saw mm-hmm. horror as a really interesting genre that is kind of coded as masculine. And it has always been, mm-hmm. especially the early, you know, seventies era mm-hmm. of horror movies was seen as like a teenage boy genre.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but yet has made so much space for interesting women's stories and women's characters and, mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to kind of capitalize on that ability to sneak in feminist themes in this in this coded genre. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, we I wanted to I wanted to encourage everybody to ask questions in the chat box um, or in the Q and A if um, if you have any. And we have one that I want to kind of um, pose to you first, Kate. From I think Tracy is posting this from our Facebook. Um, she says, I've loved the conversation. If there's time, could you both talk about space on the page and the space a book takes up? Um, and it's true, our, our books are such different sizes. Um, I'm, I'm interested, how, how do you think about the space on the page and also, you know, cutting your 250-page book down to this this small, small size? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I had even more uh, white space in in the first draft, um, and then that's just kind of a nightmare for <laughs> for laying it out because it wasn't um, there really. It was really just sort of um, I was going to say painterly, but that's maybe a little um, overdone. But you know, where I just was like, okay, I want this to be really these, this line to have a whole lot of space around it. So that it does slow the reader down so that you can see what I'm, you know, inviting you to pause here, you know, and then move on. Um, But, you know, I think with the standard, I think that um, the way that it's laid out now actually um, is probably easier to read. It's still working at that same, the space is still functioning, I think, um, in the same way, but it just looks more uniform. But so it's definitely I have very short paragraphs. Some of them, you know, are single sentences. Um, quite a few are single sentences actually, uh, and that is very much how um, I prefer to write. It just it comes out that way. Even when I'm writing a lot, I will still um, just you know that it'll be like this
2: endless document. <laughs> Do you write a um? Is this unique because because um? I guess girl cow and monk is maybe four or five inches wide. Mm-hmm. Do you um? Do you write on like a on a computer on a word document and are you making those spaces as you're editing? And how did uh, that change to like laying out for the smaller book size too? I'm curious about.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So they um these single sentences now they end up being um you know around two lines or even three lines, um, whereas you know, on a regular Word doc, they are just a single long line. Um, but I think, again, like Ann and Rebecca at Meekling did a brilliant job of um, working with the margins um, to make it feel, um, just to, to make it flow. Yeah. But that's a fascinating. I know um, Ann Carson wrote her Red Doc as just one single long she had, she just, um, she put this, the center justification thing on and then she just kept writing. So the red doc is just one like long
2: well, that's
1: column in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't thought about um, trying to see how that works but I think I'm going to do that. So thank you yeah.
2: for that. yeah. <laughs> That's really amazing. Um, I want to throw you, we've got a question in the Q and A too. Amelia wants to know, type of computer we both use and so i feel like we're talking about microsoft word
1: yeah um i i do i have a um a lenovo i guess it is yeah
2: okay cool i mean i've got a um a macintosh it's like a MacBook air laptop that i write on um
1: what about you and um you know i mean your book is just so innovative with the use like um of tracy was talking about with the marginalia and Um, so yeah no I do and I
2: I think similarly I um, the and part of the reason I asked you the question about like the translation from word document to book was because I um, realized especially in this book I think it's always the case but really it was powerful with the different sections in true story how much that spacing and font mattered to me and I had you know written it almost sort of subconsciously in the word document and then when it came time to talk to the publisher, it was like, "Oh no, I, I need, I need to ask your book designers to do different fonts in every section." And and um, I was really lucky that they were they were willing. And also the um, Megan Kavanaugh, I always want to like shout her out because she worked so hard on this book design for this book. Um, awesome, yeah, it's it's brilliant. I loved I loved that. <laughs> I was really I was really um, just so grateful for the work the work that she put in. Um, and yeah, it is it is a different. It's like you have to trust a visual designer to then understand your intention and say like, okay, well, but the you know the Arial font that you chose, Kate, is not right, and so you have to. (laughs) We're going to do this, but you can trust me. I was like, okay, but um, they did a great job. But yeah, I do think the like physical space of the writing itself is really important. Like you say, to like, where do you take a little pause? Where do you? How the feeling of it is in there too. Yeah. Um, I think we have another question from Emma. Thank you so much. Um, They say, this is kind of a basic question, but I'm curious how each of you deal with writer's block, especially in quarantine. How do you find your way back to writing if it gets away from you? It's like a a basic question, but also like the biggest question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The most important question for sure. Thank you, Emma.
1: Um, This is a tough one for me. Uh, just um, I think trying not to beat yourself up too much um, is important um, And just doing things that you know feed the work. So even if you're not writing, you know, um, well for me, I mean even in quarantine that's really hard because I would go wander around the BMA, you know, yeah. and I would get an idea, you know, and that would be one thing that would be like my faithful um, way to. Break out of something, even if I, well, if it wasn't something, you know, I didn't come up with a story or a, a poem, um, you know, for what I was working on. At least I had something, um, and so I know that, you know, I mean, museums have done an incredible job now of opening up their works um, for visual for tours and things like that online. But just finding it, the like walking is very important, like the wandering, just not really knowing what you're gonna see. Um, but yeah that is a it's a really hard one Emma I don't know Kate if you have any
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, it's definitely a struggle all the time and I think you know not beating yourself up is the is the real secret and, and something I work on all the time and it's really hard not to do um, I do the, the thing I have been trying lately is really focusing on what is exciting to me with within writing and so rather than trying to push myself to finish a particular work in progress or um, do something that I feel like has some, you know, outlet or some reason for being, um, I'm trying to let myself sort of follow what I'm excited about on a day-to-day basis. So today, like I wrote a scene that was, um, I, I was, I was telling it myself when I was thinking about it, it was uh, Heather's, the movie from the early, the late eighties meets the Real Housewives series franchise and so it was like kind of pulpy and silly and it was um you know for the and it and it, it, it was something that I felt like was um a waste of time and so I was like leaning into letting myself waste that time and just spend that kind of silly time writing and so um if there's any way to like connect with the joy of it I think that's the, the best that I can that I can find a way through you know?
1: Is that going to be connected to a larger project? Or was that just? No, I
2: think, um, this one, especially, I think is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> I think it's uh-huh. not. But, but I was, um, I was letting, I was allowing myself to, to do yeah. something that would really be wasteful. And maybe, maybe it'll show up, we'll see. But, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're almost at the end of the time. Yeah. Um, uh, Emma says it was helpful. I'm so glad to hear that, Emma. Thank you. Thank you for um, joining, Emma. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll I just I'll end by thanking thanking you, Kate, for this conversation and, and for this beautiful. Yeah. It was really great.
1: It was hey, really you. great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, and thank you, everybody, for coming, too.
1: Yeah, so appreciate it. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you to our interpreter.
0: Yes, thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you so much to um, everyone that came. The Hearing and Speech Agency um, provides just wonderful interpreting. I love watching um, how readings translate too. It's really beautiful. Um, So thank you, Kate and Kate for sharing your work with us tonight and just sharing so much of your literal spaces, um, how you approach writing. Um, it was really beautiful. Um, and don't forget um to uh, click on the Ivy Bookshop link that Hannah shared to get your copy of Girl, Cow and Monk and True Story. So have a wonderful evening, everyone.
1: Thank you again Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Amelia, too. <laughs> and mom. I know you are <laughs>